Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Yeah, more in-depth product strategy. I think with any product, any position in product too, um, you, you're thinking about, are you building the right thing at the right time? And what, yeah. you, what do you need to schedule and um, and plan for and, and what needs to be more you know, experimentation, like, um, I'm dealing with a couple of things, in my company where, you know, it's a small startup. So you're, you're balancing kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, getting fuel to pursue the vision versus, um, making big bets and having that room to experiment and mm-hmm. that balance is super important for us right now because it's so hyper focused yeah. and the risk is huge for yeah. a larger company. It's not as you have more of that, buffer to, to get the strategy wrong sometimes or, you know, and learn from it. So that's where I'm coming from. I'm curious to see how you guys manage that. Yeah, actually there was a, there was a conversation I read on Twitter. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, And it was something that a friend and I had been discussing. So she works at Verizon and uh, yeah, big company. Oh, I don't want to mention mention company names here. But anyway, huge, big company, lots of processes. And uh, the conversation was something like, uh, if you work for a big company, like 80% of your time, you know, I'm, I'm going to find that quote. So that 80% of your time is spent presenting. Okay, here it is. When you work at a big company, 80% of your time is spent managing perceptions, aligning stakeholders, making slides and document about your plans. But when you work at a startup, 99% of your time is spent building and taking action that directly drives outcomes. And then someone responded and said, working with a lot of startups, I can say 99% of your time is spent making stuff happen. But often it is totally the wrong thing and you're surrounded by clueless people who love moving fast and breaking things and have no time to actually think. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but that, that's so, that's so that's interesting funny. because there's more at risk to, to not take action or that maybe, maybe that's the argument, right? Is there more risk not to take action in, in an environment with such high stakes, right? Because you have jobs on the line, you have essentially your job on the line too. You have mm-hmm. um, the company and their vision on the line. And, um, yeah, that's, it's, I feel like it's the, the risks are different, right? Or the stakes maybe. Yeah. I don't know if the risks are different the risks probably stay the same, but the stakes. Yeah. Does the risk of inaction change over time as the company grows? 
So definitely, because I mean, when you are a startup, so if you are increasing your revenue from 100 grand to 500 grand, that's like 400%, is it 500%? That's like a 400% increase. But if you're a huge company and you make like 1 billion and you add an additional 500 grand, that's very, very low. So the, the risk, like when, when you talk about percentage, uh, percentage wise, like a big company is not swayed mm-hmm. as much as a small company. When yeah. I, I would also agree. I think the risk of inaction definitely goes down over time. And I think the primary reason of that for that is as a startup, you're still seeking product market fit. You're still seeking that flywheel effect where the business just runs itself to some degree where you've kind of figured it out and cracked the code of a viable business model. And so like, if you don't do anything, you're not learning, you're not testing, you're not, you're not really finding that sweet spot. But as, as the company grows, um, I feel like that flywheel effect is probably there. So you have a little bit of time to do a little bit more of that analysis up front, as opposed to pretty much trial and error. (laughs) Yeah. But so maybe we can use that as as a good scenario. Like what if a startup acted like a big company? (laughs) Like, yeah. Like what would be the risk? Yeah. So I think, okay. So for a startup, you definitely have more at stake. First of all, your brand, you're just building your brand your goodwill with your customers. And there's probably a dozen or even more other solutions that do it better than you and are better known by you. So for, for a, uh, it's like that um, saying that you have a full, you start with a full cup and every time you lose goodwill, it reduces little by little. And when the cup is empty, it's gone. For a startup, it's a very small cup. You probably lose goodwill once and that's it. Nobody wants to use your product. Right. Anymore you haven't built that so yeah it's definitely much more uh you pay you pay a higher price for not taking action than than a big company will do but then but then you risk the the wrong action right i mean you take these then it becomes like a game of luck is that kind of the, the thought that like maybe these startups it's like only the ones that continue to grow are just lucky <laughs> there's a lot of luck even with the big companies too sure sure yeah. 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 How is there is there a way you could codify the or, or processize the <laughs> the luck or the uh, experimentation? I mean, rightly it's it's build, measure, learn, right? But at the yeah. same time, it's uh, um, yeah, just a different scale, which yeah. is interesting. I think it's it comes back to burn rate. I think kind of like what I was talking about. Once the flywheel is there, and once the business you you have that the mechanics of the business in motion, like your burn rate goes way down because you're generating cash flow. Um, yeah. and you can you can you have the luxury of time. Whereas in a startup you don't. Um, and you have to to do kind of go build, measure, learn really, really fast in order to get to that point. Um, I think the other thing too, and this is something I'm learning as as Ibotta grows, is that it's like kind of trying to change the direction for a cruise liner as opposed to a speedboat. Like once you make a decision (laughs) on a direction you're going to run, like you're kind of committed because you're, you're organizing many, many teams that have many, many dependencies. And there are only so many times you can change direction super rapidly. Um, Whereas in a startup, obviously that's totally different. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that transition though. 
yeah when you when does when does it become a cruise ship <laughs> and how do you see that yeah. how do you see those uh um, yeah what are the traits i think it becomes very apparent when squads or engineering teams cannot build a product or build a feature end-to-end without involving at least two other teams mm-hmm. if it's one that's reasonably manageable but as you start to get those dependencies um across multiple teams that's when it starts to slow way down yeah yeah and that typically happens as you get bigger as you because as you get more successful you have to do more stuff and to do that more stuff you need more people and as you add more people there needs to be more and more alignment and it's like a cycle that keeps repeating so you probably go fast at the beginning because you have one squad. You might not even have a product manager. The CEO might be the product manager. Hmm. And they can decide today and start working on it today and release next week. But by the time you then start hiring all these additional squads, then then you start needing to get people aligned. Because how do you successfully you transition though? Like what's what is the what is the tools and tricks that you guys have seen this like to help a company through that phase. I think it's, and I bought is still trying to get here, but domain oriented architecture where you basically have these domains where it's like, you got inputs and outputs, you have API contracts. And basically you build, you build an architecture in such a way where you have these contracts, you have kind of this shared understanding of how different pieces work, even if you don't know what's going on inside the black box, but what essentially that allows for teams to do is to operate independently. Um, so however, as you grow, you can build your teams and think about your architecture in a way where you can enable teams to run on their own. Then you're maintaining that startup model where teams can be building, measuring and, and learning super, super fast. But without that, and this is kind of where Ibotta is, as we try to go from monolith to microservice across the board, we're still doing that guys. <laughs> um, yeah that's where it gets a little bit messy because there's this like prevailing thought of you want to do more things, hire more people. doesn't quite work all work yeah. that way. There's kind of a decreasing so, return there yeah, over question time on because that. of the dependencies. No, that makes sense. The, the monolith to microservices. Cause yeah. that's an interesting transition. It's kind of what we're talking about, right? It's this kind yeah. of small company to big company. So yeah, what is, so, so, I mean, like you said, we've been doing it for a long time. I mean, ever since I was at Ibotta, we're doing that. And that was, your, uh, you know, almost a year ago. Yeah. But um, what's the risk of, or maybe, let's talk about this this way. What's the opportunity of pausing everything to move everything to microservices versus the risk of not innovation, right? Like it's more a, a technical decoupling to enable these startup teams mm-hmm. and really spending the time doing that versus actually innovating on behalf of your clients and customers. Yeah. I, I mean, pros of pausing is you are investing in your future and you're setting yourself up to be able to move fast a year, two years from now um, at bigger scale cons mm-hmm. you're giving up, one to two years of feature development, the market's moving quickly, you're probably, you're running the risk of being left behind and then you're just playing catch up to table stakes for 
years and years and years. So I think, and there are just kind of kind of the the opportunities that arise as a company grows. You'll have different different doors that are open to you just by virtue of timing and state of the market. And you want to be in a position to capitalize on those. So if you it's it's kind of like it's kind of a catch-22 in some ways, where it's like if if you don't do it then you are risking not being able to capitalize on those opportunities a year, two years from now. But if you do do it, you can't capitalize on those opportunities as they arise now in the immediate term. So there's always this kind of constant battle of this constant battle. Totally. And just elongates everything and you can't ever get to this ideal state. (laughs) Right. And you're always just sitting here thinking like, is now the time? Is there, is there like, however long it'll take you as your company. So, I mean, for some companies, it could be like three, six months, other companies, it's like 12, 18, 24 months. But like, yeah, do you have, do you have enough of a foothold in the market? Is your business secure enough to be able to stop innovating for a significant amount of time? Uh, And you're, you're basically allowing your competition to come at you and give them time to catch up to you do you have the ability to kind of let them catch up in the foot race so you can get your drink of Gatorade and then just blow them out of the water going out of the rest stop? And so the companies that have cash flow and have the, the resources to do that seems viable, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think, I mean, every company. So, so question, this. I mean, that that's, yeah, it sounds like it ideally, but in reality, you're experiencing this today and they haven't yeah. made that decision. Like why, what is, you know, is it almost like the leap of faith, like tying it back to starting a company and being a more entrepreneurial mindset that you actually, there's never right time. You just got to die. Never a good time. Like, yeah, there's never a good time. So are you thinking like, well, cause I, I feel like we're in the same boat, just in a different scale. Yeah. Is yeah. it, decision paralysis or analysis by paralysis and we're not, you know, making the decision because we can push it off or is it more of like a prevailing thought that it's the fire isn't hot enough that we Ah. can still, we can still do things that we want to do given the architecture that we have, which I think is true. Um, But it's, it's all a question of kind of putting ourselves in our own shoes 24 months from now. And where are we going to be? I mean, there's a quote I read somewhere, probably on Twitter, where it's just kind of like, your wins today, your your wins today that you launched today are in large part due to the decisions that your team made 18, 24 months ago. It's yeah. not because of the decisions you made two to three months ago. And so if you kind of take that mindset and you apply that to your day-to-day decision-making, what are you doing for your team 24 months from now. Yeah. Yeah, and that just actually like brings to mind a very good analogy for this kind of problem. So if you think of uh, Formula One making a pit stop. So you are right there, maybe you're probably leading the race, you have very good momentum going and your tires are still good. You're like, can I do two more laps at this momentum? Or should I stop now? If I stop now, I'm going to lose some momentum. I'm going to lose some, you know, I'm going to lose my position. But if I keep running like this, even though things are going really great, I'm going to pay for it two laps from now. 
Yeah. I love that well, analogy. I love That's it. a great one. That's, yeah. That's amazing. That's so good. Well, let, mean, let's use like, that as a good example. Like the formula one, it's still like um, finite, right? There's yeah. still an end to the race. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the business let's world. Call it Le Mans, 24 hours. <laughs> there is no end in the business. <laughs> It, it, yeah in the in the business world there's not really this finish line right yeah i mean it's this consistent growth this consistent vision that we're continually pushing forward and 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 that's a long-term game right yeah yeah i mean ideally ideally you're not having to take the car out of the race yeah. Right. Ideally, you can kind of refuel and retire while you're going around the track. Obviously, Formula One, maybe someday they'll figure that out. But yeah, obviously, <laughs> that's not a thing. Um, but like, I think my my thought is the the ideal approach is you are constantly investing in your two to three year future. And you're not going 100% for the immediate term and then forcing the company to take a six month break a six month pit stop yeah. because it's you hundred percent commitment. It sounds like, right. Like it, the answer is not to do choose either, or it's right. that percentage difference. Right. It's your portfolio you strategy. Over time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got so it. you always yeah. have, you always have people thinking about yeah. scaling your architecture and while getting f- fuel for the long, long right. term in the finish. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what, what options can we give ourselves 12, 24 months from now, we have no idea if we're going to use these. I mean, it's kind of like the decision that Bezos made early on with Amazon to make every API public facing. Like they had no idea what they were going to do with that. Right. But by investing in giving the team options in the future, it it maintained and increased their maneuverability 24 months down the road when they had no idea what the market would be like, but they would have options to move and adjust. Right. Is there a process or... Uh, um, a repeatable foresight for these types of decisions, or are those decisions more luck? Mm. I think it's totally luck. I think it's, I, I'm <laughs> yeah. just talking. I've been doing a lot of talking, but like, no, no, I, think it's, I think it's a philosophy and it's a set of principles yeah. and your that guide your decision-making. And right. what I think about is, are you making decisions that give you and your teams options are you creating doors in the future you don't know if you're ever going to walk through them but are you giving yourselves the doors to walk through or are you just building a hallway with no doors right because when you're building a hallway with no doors you are putting all your eggs in one basket strategically speaking Mm -hmm. and you if you're wrong you're screwed you can't Um, that's more of a bigger bet even though ideally it seems like the right decision right right and a lot of times, like I've struggled with this a little bit, is convincing leadership that that extra 20% or whatever it is to build that extensibility, extendability or flexibility into the product is worthwhile because you can't justify it. Like, Yeah, doesn't you, that get all deprioritized all the time? Right, because all you're saying is like, we don't know if we're ever going to use this, but it's going to give ourselves options. And oh yeah, it's going to increase our schedules by like 25% or whatever it is. Yeah. And like, you're always going to get skeptical looks, but... I yeah. think it's it's coming back to that like preparing for the future idea, um, and if you can get leadership bought into that, then you'll be in a much better place. How do you do that? Yeah, do you have any? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you have the secrets. I've always had that 
problem or well, yeah, I, I'll, I'll challenge at pretty much every role. But what I've learned now is that because you're trying to convince leadership that your team needs to spend this time working on this thing that's not going to generate any returns, at least in the short to medium term, as opposed to go building this new thing that's going to bring us new customers or give us more revenue. So what, what I found that has worked for me has been I've kind of started to bundle things together. So when I have a new feature that I want to work on, I might reserve maybe 20% or 25% of my engineer's time to actually go work on making this specific part better. And then I'll still have, so, so it's kind of like, um, it's like, <laughs> I don't want to bring politics into it, but good ways, you know, when you want to pass a deal and then you bundle everything. So you have mm. like packaging the not so favorable with the extremely favorable so that uh, the comp the first thing they see is that, oh yeah, we're going to build this new feature that's going to increase our revenue by 25% at the end of the quarter. Uh, while also doing that, we will be working on the side on this project that's going to, you know, increase our speed or it's going to make it easier for us to add new features tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I think the, uh, the, the secret really is being able to package those benefits in a way that leadership understands. Mm -hmm. So usually I would say this today, we cannot tell how people are using our products. And this translates to us not knowing who is our biggest user versus what customer just logs in once a month. And that if we go work on this tomorrow, we'll be able to tell these are our heaviest customers, these are our lightest customers, and this can even help us if we decide to start charging for use in the future. So stuff like that, just being able to quickly tie those little gains to what it might mean for the business in the future. I think that's how so it's selling the leadership, selling the stakeholders on the vision, but not yeah. at the risk of momentum. Exactly. Exactly. And the, and the fuel and fueling up and tying it back to this Formula One concept. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that, uh, even in Ibotta, that something similar happened where we were talking about uh, uh, payment services and building a central. I forget what the name of the service, but that was supposed to manage every funding source, funding source service. That was supposed to manage all the funding sources because at the time, each, if you were doing PayPal or Venmo or whatever, they all run in their own space. So then adding more will then start to bug the system, will then start to make it slow. And at the time, we're trying to add ACH. So if we added that central service, that means tomorrow we can add whatever we want fast. We already have something that's doing the work. So that's the way I pass that across, that as we're adding more and more ways to pay, we need something in the middle that's going to uh, do all the transactions. Even though if we add it now, we probably won't see anything, but tomorrow we plan to add this, we plan to add that, and this will make it all easier. So yeah, just being able to explain that change, that this is the, this is the benefit to the business in the long run. And if we don't do it, it's going to either reduce our speed, reduce our productivity, and then bundle that with something big that they are working on. Yeah, that's that seems to have always yeah. worked. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great call. I think, yeah, I think 
I think about things in a very similar way, just kind of as a portfolio approach, like again, trying to just not be hundred percent committed one way or the other. Like how do you balance these longer term investments with the shorter term gains? So you can show that you're making, even if it's smaller progress, you're still making op- optimized optimizational, op- whatever that word would be progress. You're optimizing to success as opposed to making these big, big moves. I think the other way that I've found success too, is just pull out historical analogies too. Are there examples where you can say like, Look, we invested in flexibility of the platform, not really knowing how we would apply it. And here's how that was really helpful for us within the last 12, 18 months. Like this API that we decided to make public, not really knowing if anyone was going to use it. Check this out. Like we had some, we had this opportunity pop up. Someone came in. We didn't have to do anything. It was like time to market was bam. It was like minimal effort for our team because we invested in, in this implementation that's reusable. Um, so yeah, pulling out kind of recent examples to really just kind of help them visualize why this vision is worth pursuing, I think is also helpful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, what bits of homework or advice do we have for PMs that are going through similar challenges? Uh, First advice I would say will be to look at your tech debt today or whatever the challenge is be able to quantify it, be able to say, this is what we need to do. Uh, These are the things we need to address either now or at some point in the future. And then know what the consequences are going to be in the next couple of years if you don't address it now. Like understand it yourself, be able to explain to yourself, this is why we need to do do this. Because a a lot of the time, these challenges are very technical in nature. And it might take a while for you to understand, uh, especially if you are not very technical. Like sit down with your engineering folks and understand what are the what's the problem and what are the consequences of not acting. Yeah, I think what I would add to that is always have in the back of your mind your product success comes on the backs of decisions that you and your teams made 18, 24 months ago. And given that, in the decisions you're making today, are you giving your future self the flexibility to move quickly um, down the road? So in your products today, are you building in extendability? Are you building in flexibility? Are you giving yourselves options that you don't know if you'll ever use, but you'll be thankful if you wind up using them? Yeah. Yeah. And I just add to all this uh, great advice here is, you know, make sure that that, that long-term goal, that vision is, is being in pursuit of your team. Um, and, and part of pursuing that vision is, is fueling up. So this, you know, you'll, sometimes you'll need to make those shorter, shorter term decisions, the decisions that aren't as scalable. So you can continue that path and pursue that vision. Um, and there's that balance. And I think it just depends on the product and the team and the person to really refine that balance. But reflect on it, look at it each quarter, um, talk about it, talk about that balance and, and see what worked, what didn't, um, and then just dial that in over time. Great. Well, it looks like we finished up our coffee. Um, go rate, review, subscribe, all the fun stuff, and uh, go level up. Oh,